millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Fighting on Film Podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome to Fighting on Film. Today we have a very special guest with us. It's none other than the legendary Dale Dye, founder of Warriors Inc., who's revolutionised the way that war movies are made. From Platoon to Saving Private Ryan, Dale has worked on some of the genre's biggest films, and we are delighted to have you with us. Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's kind of you to say. Um, so... Patreon questions. Would you want to start? Yeah, let's dive straight in. Um, so John Forsyth uh, has the first question. He he said, did Mr. Die have a gut feeling of Band of Brothers was going to be something special? And how good was Luz at doing impressions of him? Okay, let me, let me see if I could get get right at this. Uh, look, <laughs> I, I knew uh, simply because... Um, I, I was familiar with um, the the book, the original material, uh, and when you're talking Spielberg and Hanks, uh, you know that it's going to be a quality thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was fairly sure that we were going to do something special. Uh, how special it was going to be, uh, I really got a feeling for once I began to train the troops and meet these young actors that were portraying actual characters. Um at, at that point, I knew if if I didn't screw it up and if I imbued them with the right spirit and the right understanding of the story, um, that that it definitely was going to be something special. Now, that said, um, I did not have any idea of the, of the lasting impact 
uh, I thought, sure, it's going to be something really special. And, uh, you know, war movie geeks like us are, are going to absolutely love it. But I didn't really understand at the time the the life that it would have. And it's had a, an extraordinary life. I mean, it. Mm. look, I, I still stand in uh, in grocery store lines and somebody in the line will do some of my dialogue as Colonel Sink, you know, from, <laughs> from the show. So, you know, I have to have you all shot, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so while, while I knew we were onto something special, I didn't really understand the life that it was going to have, the legs that it was going to have, even to this day. Um, now, the second part of your question is, which one of those little maggots could imitate me best? <laughs> I say um, it, it was a toss-up. Uh, Bull Randleman, uh, Mike uh, Cudlitz could do it really well. And there there were a few others who who snuck in imitations. Every time I'd turn my back, I'd hear myself uh, doing something. But but it was all in, in great uh, good humor and spirit. And it just, to me, it just showed me what tremendous talent these kids had. It's one of the, like, the eternal things of the series is it's just cast so well. And it's that's part of its timelessness. Yes. Um, amazing. Our second question for you today comes from Ken Campbell, and he asks, what type of advising does one do for a CGI film like Sergeant Stubby and American Hero, and to a lesser extent, Small Soldiers? It, it's more difficult. Um, look, I'm, I've spent most of my life raising other people's children and, and training young soldiers, so mm-hmm. I want to I deal with human beings and look in their BDS eyeballs and, and try to influence their behavior. Um, but when you're doing CGI, um, it's it's a whole new world, uh, computer-generated imagery. Um, what what happens is you find yourself having to react or plan or stage uh, with something that isn't really there. Mm. And, and it takes – you have to stretch your imagination. And, and, yeah, and sometimes I'll have to work with the actors to say, now, look, you can't see it, but this is happening. Now they've they've gone uh, huge strides in advancing CGI. Um, I just finished uh, working uh, over in UK uh, last year uh, for almost a year on uh, on one of the most extraordinary CGI events I've ever seen, and it's the uh, the Masters of the Air uh, Eight Air Force, which is a follow on to Band of Brothers, and then the Pacific, and now mm-hmm. the, yeah. the Masters of the Air or Whirlwind or whatever it's going to be called. Um, and that was just fraught with CGI. I mean, every time we turned around, we had to imagine something going on. So it's a it's a bigger acting challenge, and in many cases, a bigger staging challenge, uh, because you've always got to be aware that that green screen or that uh, rear screen projection or whatever it is is in the picture. Mm. So it's it's a difficulty, uh, but you learn to live with it. And the reason you learn to live with it is because of the extraordinary results that you get, uh, the imagery that you get. I mean, we mentioned masters of the air there, and obviously you've had a long working partnership with Tom Hanks and, and the crew behind same private white Brian and uh, band of brothers, and then onwards through Pacific and, and now masters of the air without giving any spoilers on set. Did you get the impression that it's going to be, you know, another one of those seminal pieces of, you know, filmmaking where it's like wow this is real this is amazing storytelling telling the story of these men did you get that impression i, I hope so i i mm-hmm. hope so I, look it's it's always a crapshoot 
when you do these things, how the dice are going to roll and how audiences are going to accept it and so on and so forth. Um, it, unlike uh, Band of Brothers in the Pacific, um, which were an HBO production uh, here in the States, uh, this one is uh, for uh, Apple Plus. And that's a, a subscription streamer uh, here in the states, and and you know I don't I don't know what that's going to do to the audience. Uh, I I do know that um, it's full of uh, real eye popping stuff. I mean uh, I can't I'm still under a uh, under a, a non disclosure agreement, of so course. I can't tell you a great deal. But but I can say that it's going to be an eye popper. Um, if if you're willing to find it. Well, I think it's going to be everywhere, isn't it? So I, I know that everyone that listens to our show is highly anticipating it when it releases. And yeah, you know, we've, we've yeah. seen little bits in, uh, I think, Apple trailers that came out earlier this year and little it gave us a little taste. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we are yeah, excited they're, they're, for it. They're testing the waters, I know. Mm. Uh, but look, I, I can say this. Um, it's probably the most expensive thing I've ever worked on. Wow. And had it had some of the most amazing technology uh, I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, there were very few things that we, you know, money didn't seem to be a big object. We, we built stuff and created stuff that, uh, in my view, were just, uh, just staggering what it was going to be. Now, that said, I've only seen bits and pieces, just, just as you have. And a lot depends on the cutting. I mean, we may have spent a lot of money on on certain scenes <laughs> up on the cutting room floor. I don't know, um, but I I think I I'm uh, I anticipate that it's going to be a big deal. Well, that's great. We look forward to seeing it. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Yeah, I think we all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to a bit more of a general question now from uh, Samuel Foster. He asks. As of all the actors that you've advised and worked with over the years, who did you think had the best soldiering skills? You know, I've I've trained That's so a many question. of them. I think, yeah, it's it's a hard question. Uh, there's probably got to be around 800 that, that we've trained over the years. Uh, I have to say that some of them were really terrific. Um Tom Berenger, who uh, was great with us in platoon, would have made a great platoon sergeant in real life. Uh, Damian Lewis uh, absolutely understood mm. um, an officer's role and, and leadership. He was terrific. Um, you know, there there have been the um, Tom Hanks uh, is just you know he's he's every man and uh, and he and he knows he has that kind of technological mind and he's interested in things, uh, which I think shows in his performance and his, in his creation of characters on screen. Uh, let me, let me just say in general terms that I've probably seen more good ones than I've seen bad ones. Yeah. Do you think that's down to the, just actors being able like to be malleable? They're, they're, that's because that's their job. Like they're willing to learn. Yeah, that. and and interesting, and and understand beyond the imagery. Um, so many actors you find are, are interested in how does my hair look, and am I wearing the uniform right, and how many lines do I have in this scene? The, the the really good ones that I've trained think way beyond that. You know, they're they're trying to understand what it is to lead, what it is to uh, face fear in extremis, and that sort of thing. And they, and when they go to that depth. Uh, you're almost guaranteed to get great performances from them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess my job is to make sure they go to that depth. Yeah, yeah, very true. I think the next question leads in beautifully from that, that answer. It's from Andrew Caesar Gordon, and he says, what do you consider to be the most important elements of an actor's boot camp? Look, I, I think it's this. Uh, I think it is compelling an understanding that there is something more important uh, in life than yourself. Understanding self-sacrifice and devotion to a larger mission and an image. Uh, if I had to write it large, I would say that's it. Because that's that's foreign to so many young men in, uh, today. You know, it's all about me, me, me. Well, it's not when you're in the military. It's about the guy next to you and his reliance on you and your reliance on him. Hmm. So getting getting to that point uh, is, is a major issue. If I can get there with them, then everything else makes sense. This is another interesting question from Andrew. And he asks, what examples come to mind of where directors didn't take your advice about what was realistic to portray on screen? And why do why do you think that they decided not to to follow that advice? Well, there have been a number of instances uh, where I've suggested some things, um, mm. and directors absolutely just ignored it. Um, and look, I'm I'm a pretty expensive element to have on the on the set, so they mm. tend to listen to me more than they don't listen to me. Yeah, uh, and and good directors good directors are interested in in telling a story from the from the basis of reality so they want to start there but i've seen uh, enormous departures and things that just make me cringe and i'm sitting Mm -hmm. there saying you know i told you that that why did why are you doing this and the answer generally um comes in in i guess what you'd call dramatic license yeah. Um, the director has the whole story in mind, not just details. And and sometimes he'll think, well, I could do what Dale tells me. But in my view, that would uh, carve out from the dramatic impact of the thing. Now, I find that not to be necessarily the case. Look, my my position essentially is this, guys. In combat or in general military situations, the reality is often much, much more dramatic than and anything a writer is going to dream up. Mm. And so if you just go there, you're in pretty good shape. I guess, I guess though, to, to answer uh, specific questions, I have, I have certain things that always bug me. Um, and uh, one of them is, uh, you know, how, how a man acts when he gets hit whether it's by shrapnel or bullets and all that sort of thing. I've been hit a couple of times and I kind of know the inside story of that. Mm. Um, but there's a tendency to have the actors or the stunt men that are, that are working uh, in a scene do this funky chicken uh, dance when rounds hit them and all that stuff. And that's so far from the truth. The truth is that when you're hit lethally, Generally, you just collapse like a puppet. It's like it's like a puppet and somebody cut the strings and down you go. Mm. And to me, that's much more dramatic than doing some kind of dance just to yeah. juice the impact of, of rounds on a human body. So that's that's one of the things that I, I often uh, worry about. Um, mm. it's, it's, only, it's only a, a small thing, but it's uh, it's huge in my view. 
I hope, yeah. that, I hope that answers the question. No, that's great. It yeah. does. I mean, would you say that that is one of the things that made you want to get into the business and you know have a positive impact? I think so. Yeah. Um, look, one of the things that made me and and listen, I was really ignorant about how movies are made and how advice <laughs> is taken and given and so on and so forth. But but I think the truth of the matter is that um, I it, it, what I was seeing uh, in military movies. Um, prior to my coming on the scene and making some kind of success with it, um, what I was seeing just pissed me off. I mean, it was ridiculous, some of this stuff. And I said, who the hell is, isn't somebody talking to these people and making them try to understand not to do these horrible gaffes that, that you see all the time. Um, and, and so that prompted me. I said, well, look, uh, it's it's true that when you're ignorant, you can do a lot of things that people tell you you can't do. And, and certainly that was my case. Uh, so I said, you know, I'm going to go out there and unscrew these guys. They're screwed up. I'm going to unscrew them and, uh, and tell them how to do this. Well, it was it was hardly that easy, but um, but I made it work. And uh, and I think for the better, um, it certainly it's, now I can't even remember what the question was. Um, oh, was was uh, was that sort of? Uh, yeah, is that what made you want to get into actually advising? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, yes, it did. Is the is the short answer? Yeah, I mean, I think this question might um, brilliant flow into that as well. Thomas McCall asks, and obviously, it's as much as you'd like to share, um, he says, "What impact has your own military service in Vietnam had on your approach to acting, advising actors?" Project. Oh, it has. It's it's pivotal. It's seminal. Of course, um, it 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 opened the door to what reality is and and how human beings behave in extremis. Mm. Um, so absolutely, it it had a huge impact. Um, and and from a practical standpoint, uh, it's the reason I was able to do what I was able to do with Platoon, yes. which I think was a launching pad for my career. Um, so it was absolutely a seminal experience. Uh, the experience I had in Vietnam and in uh, the Middle East in Beirut, um, all of all of them opened doors. And and because I'm I'm a natural born dyed in the wool storyteller, um, I'm an observer and I see these things and and these things uh, impact and stay with me in my memory. And, and there's a sensory memory that's involved. And it's not, not just observing scenes, um, although that's valuable, uh, but it's, it's understanding the emotions involved and understanding the senses involved and, and how, you know, how things smell as well as how they look and how things sound as well as how they look. And, and I've always been a, a huge uh, observer of that. Uh, I'm like a sponge about those things. I pick them up and I remember them. And that has all been part and parcel of what we've done with Warriors Incorporated in, in training actors and in staging uh, military films. Yeah. So was that, I guess it was quite, it was must have been quite um, liberating and useful to find Oliver Stone as a director for Platoon and, and having that shared experience. Do you think that, it wouldn't have been the film it was and, and if you hadn't have been able to have that shared experience. Yeah, absolutely. It, it wouldn't have been the film it was. Um, but Oliver and I were, were uh, simpatico. I mean, we were kindred spirits in that regard. We didn't agree on everything because his experience in Vietnam was somewhat different from mine and, and yeah. so on. But generally, and, and especially in the detail stuff, 
which he couldn't remember, and I certainly could. Um, so I would fill in those blanks, and, and we got to the point I think where uh, you know we we were doing sort of nonverbal communication. So I'd look at him, he'd look at me, and suddenly he'd say, "Yeah, I understand," and we'd go off and do this. Um, and he was he was very happy with uh, with what I was able to do with the 33 actors that he gave me to train and the three weeks that he gave me to take them into the jungles in, in the Philippines. Um, he, he admired that. And he said that uh, that it would not have been the performances that the actors gave would would not have been uh, what they were uh, had they not been introduced uh, to the environment and the the emotions and the senses and all that sort of thing that I was able to give them. Yeah, it definitely shows. It's one of the, you know, highly requested movie on the show and everyone always mentions it when we talk right. Vietnam films. Um, yeah. You can't not, can't not have a conversation without mentioning Platoon. Yeah, it was, it was my yeah. start as an actor. Of course. I mean, it was, a, it was yeah. the last damn thing on my mind, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but Oliver, <laughs> Oliver had seen me um, uh, training and he said, well, geez, he, the guy's an, he's a company commander. Why don't I just cast him as a company commander? And I was reluctant at first. Yeah. Um, but uh, he convinced me. And some of the young actors uh, said, Captain, you, you've trained us. And we respond to you. And, and just go in there and do what you do. And essentially, that's what I did. The fortunate thing was the critics noticed. And, and that kind yeah. of launched a little career for me. But mm. Is acting something that you ever considered when you started working in Hollywood? Is it something that had it ever occurred to you or is it had always been just clearly focused on trying to do that advisory role? Certainly I was focused on the advisory role when I started, but, but as I began to observe things, observe certain actors. You know, around uh, actors and interacting yeah, with them, that sort of thing. I said, you know, I can do that. I mean, if, if you look at it in practical terms, the professional military, whether it's in the UK, in France, in America, wherever it is, the professional military is probably one of the finest training grounds uh, for, for young actors that you can get. Uh, just think about it this way. You have to perform in certain roles as a professional soldier, uh, whether you're actually that person or not. You've got to give that persona you've got to adopt that persona and that's essentially what acting is mm. yeah 100 percent. it really is you're, you're a tool almost aren't you you you're told to yeah. do something and you, you have to go and do it you know yeah. you pick up a research paycheck, it, study it and and of decide course. what that should be there mm. you go mm. yeah i think one of the the most interesting things with war movies um before the 60s is you had all of those guys that had served and their their service informed how they acted in war movies within the war movie genre. So if they needed to be an airman, they could be an airman. If they needed to be a, a marine, they had an idea of what was needed, how to present themselves, how to handle themselves. So I think what what fundamentally changed is you know as those actors became tall for roles and and you know time went on, and a new generation of young actors that had never served and had no idea the importance yeah. of what you came to do in the industry when you did compensated for that lack of experience that military experience within like the cadre of actors yeah and i think you're exactly 100 percent um when when we think of the seminal war movies of our young lives 
Most of them were done by guys that had some military experience. They were fought in World War II or Korea or, or at least served in the military because America had a draft. Mm. Um, and so, so they brought that sort of insight with them. But we reached a period, um, I guess, uh, probably during and after Vietnam, in which uh, nobody had that experience. Nobody who was active and, and was uh, eligible for lead roles in films and that sort of thing, young enough to, to play those roles, uh, had any military experience whatsoever. Uh, and it became painfully obvious to me. Uh, I assumed going in that these guys would understand certain things. And of course, what they understood was the last bad war movie they saw. And so there was a tendency to emulate that. Uh, so it was it was a fight. Uh, sometimes uh, the, the fight was to get all of the preconceived crapola out of their minds and start over from square one. Uh, that was a bit of a fight uh, in some cases, but um, but you're exactly right. Uh, we hit a period where the leading men, if you will, are the are the really good character actors um, who played military played parts in, in military movies um, were just too old to mm. be that young soldier again. So they became the colonel and the general who waves big hands on small maps and that sort yeah. of thing. And and the young men who came up, the young leading men who came up to fulfill those roles had no experience whatsoever. So yeah, I I I recognized that and I knew that that was something I would have to uh help fulfill some way. Mm. That's incredible. Um so next question is um have you ever uh, Brian Williams asks have you ever had to tell a director um, that soldiers wouldn't behave in a certain way. Um, I'm sure you have. <laughs> yes, uh, practically every day, every scene, every hour. Uh, but the neat thing, uh, so the direct answer to the question is, yes, I've had to do that a lot. Um, but the direct answer to your question is, if, if I have been given the time to train a unit of young actors, they, they police themselves. A director will say, okay, we're going to do this. And he'd say, no, I wouldn't do that. I've, I've been trained not to do that. And that sometimes leaves the director with kind of egg on his face. And I have to go in and settle that. But, but in general, uh, if you train them right, they'll police themselves. They won't allow themselves to do stupid things. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. So well drilled that they'll just. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so next question, Paul Hicks asks, is there a period of history that you would like to build an immersive boot camp for that is far removed from any 20th century setting that you've done so far? Uh, look, I've, I've done some really interesting stuff. Um, I did Alexander with Oliver yeah. Stone, which was, yes. you know, 20th, 20th century. Or, <laughs> I mean, uh, 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 it was before the Common Era. Yeah, um, ancient. Yeah, and, ancient, yeah. Yeah, ancient history. Uh, that was fun. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to research that stuff. I mean, you find mm -hmm. yourself looking at Grecian urns and, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was fun. Um, and I did uh, 1757, the uh, uh, French and Indian War in uh, Last of the Mohicans. That mm -hmm. was that was tremendous fun. 
um, I was able to train British and, and British infantry and, and uh, that was good. Um, I don't know. There's, there's probably, we've, we've just had some really terrific. I, I always thought the answer to your question would be, I would love to research and set up a training for World War I. But that's kind of been OBE now, overcome by events, because uh, of the great success of uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and uh, 1917, and were mm. uh, terrific films. I had quibbles with each of them, but that's to be expected because and I did We all do. do. I mean, that that's the yeah. thing with, uh, you know, moviegoers and, and war movie buffs. We all have things where we go, ah, that's not mm. how I do it, or that's not, not quite me. right. Do you, yeah. do you find do you have do you find there's much I don't want to say rivalry it might be the wrong word but do you find you have like a sort of do, do the big military advisors come together and you have a chat and you go oh, well I've done that and I wouldn't have done that do you have moments like that I wish that were the case but there are so damn few of us I mean I think I think there are two that I know of uh, me and another guy um, everybody else seems to be called in as an advisory role on a, on a specific project and you never see them again. Um, so it would be wonderful if there was a set of professional military advisors out there, but there isn't. I mean, we, we broke, set the bar and then broke the mold uh, for the most yeah. part. Mm. I get, I still get hundreds of notes and, and papers from people who want to be me and figure out how to do it but that's i don't, so no, I don't know the answer to that question no. <laughs> yeah it's amazing. so we mentioned um, we mentioned the um last of the mohicans and alexander so when you're doing films that are set in a period which is you know far and away from your own military experience and yeah. the general experience of 20th century military conflict etc how do you approach that as an advisor you know decide on what's needed to make it feel militarily authentic yeah look one of the things that people don't understand about what i do is what a scholar you have to be i Mm. mean what a what a in-depth efficient researcher you have to be uh, where you have to go for materials and and it as you point out it's not so much superficial. I mean, you can read Wikipedia, you know, and find out what the elements of a particular historical battle were. But that's not what we're after here. We're after, you know, what were the problems? How did the shoes hold up? You know, how did it smell? How were animals treated? And and you get so in-depth. And, and there's a lot of rabbit holes you could run run down in, that, yeah. in research. You have to, and that's, and I'm that guy. You know, I love to run down those rabbit holes and find out these minutiae. Um, but you have to be able to say, okay, that's useful. That's interesting, but not useful uh, and, and get on with it. Um, I bet that's tricky sometimes. Yeah, it is. And, and what, what I find, what the interesting uh, part to me was it used to be that you could, you could get away with certain egregious errors uh, before the age of the internet, if you will. Uh, movie movie fans, especially war movie fans these days, uh, you don't you don't get that slack. They're coming right after you. Uh, oh, we you know. <laughs> On the show, yeah, we oh, know. I, I, I guess you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, I find myself being a little more careful. Um, you know, I I don't say that's good enough. I I go and do the research and find out what the specifics of that thing are. And as you point out, if you're dealing with uh, with ancient history. Um, hell, I, I remember uh, when we were doing the last of the Mohicans uh, 
and I had I was fortunately able to get over into uh, Lambeth Road into the Imperial War Museum and and do some research and uh, found out you know the the thirteen steps of loading and firing a brown vest so, mm. and uh, and that's those things are very specific and I incorporate them in the training and I think that was uh, to the betterment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we often talk about this on the show. There's a balance between things are perfectly historically correct and things make a historically authentic movie. There's a balance there. And, you know, some things can be forgiven if if the rest of the film works as a a film and it also feels authentic. Yeah, look, it's it's the it's the difference. And, And boy, you know it and I know it. There's a difference between a documentary and a dramatic uh, mm. theatrical yeah, presentation. I mean, we're, we're the only guys who probably watch those documentaries, but at any rate, <laughs> they're out there. Yeah, yeah. And it's and films are entertainment at the base level, aren't they? Yeah. So there's this yeah. whole Venn diagram of what do you use, what do you not? And you're still trying to make it entertaining. And I think that that's what makes a very good war movie. If you can hit sure. all three you're doing well um you, you, what you can't do what you can't i'll just say this and then no, no problem. go on to another subject what you can't do is cater to the geeks uh, i call them the stitch hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nazis. These are the these are the guys who them, worry about the color of the thread the on a on a yeah. patch or a button or something yeah. like that. It, it, I I really love them, and they're the guys mm. who will pay money to see the film over and over and over and wear out the uh, the, the pause button on their remote. <laughs> I, I know those guys, uh, and I'm probably talking to a couple of them. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we we've all got it in there somewhere. Yeah. I think yeah, we, but. but but you can't when you're when you're doing the whole film and you and you have to look at the whole how the whole story is being told. There's sometimes you just have to say, hey, look, this is going to piss we Willy Winky off, but I got to go here. I got to do this, and, mm. and off you go. That's yeah. that's an observation. No, of course, it's it's we have a segment in the show where we dedicate like 20 minutes to talking about the kit, the uniforms, sure. the tactics, things like that. But then we're off that subject and we go into, <laughs> you know, scenes, our, our favourite scenes, and we actually, you know, critique sure. the movie as a movie, but we, we leave the, the stitch not seeing the rivet counting in the section so we can have our gripes and then leave it because you can, you could just have a whole episode or a whole critique of oh, a film could be based yeah. on a jacket and it's not, it doesn't help it anybody. It would be painful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
So the next question comes from A.D. Bond. He asks, which do you prefer being technical advisor on, a Vietnam War movie or a World War II movie? Uh, I, I suppose uh, I would have to say I prefer working on World War II movies. Um, they, the, the literature is so rich and so in-depth. Um, so I, that's, if, if I'm going to go someplace, I want to go there. But if, right. if I mean, Vietnam is, is very personal to me. Um, and so uh, if, if a good opportunity comes up to work on a Vietnam film, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, you know, I write, I write books and, and yes. they're, uh, um, I, I vacillate between whether I want to talk about Vietnam or whether I want to talk about World War II. For my generation of Americans, and I'm a little older than you guys are, but uh, for my generation, uh, they're both seminal events in world history. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of open to both of them, but, uh, but I probably want to do a World War II and, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, the primary one is it's, it's a simple story. Um, you know who the bad guys are. The bad guys are Japanese bad guys or German bad guys, Nazi bad guys, or uh, fascisti Italian bad guys. And that's pretty well it. It's black and white. Everybody else is a good guy. So it's a little easier storytelling. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, Vietnam could be quite muddled. <laughs> yeah, right. definitely. Um, Matt, next question. Yeah, um, one from me. I mean, we spoke about it a little bit earlier. Um, as an actor, do you have a favorite scene that stands out to you that you've 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 been in? So you've got all those great scenes from Band of Brothers. You've got the great scenes from Platoon. You've got that amazing sequence with Michael J. Fox in Casualties of War, where you you kind of trying to quash the you know his his request for an investigation. That that seems incredible to me. I watched it again the other day. I mean, do any of those stand out to you? What what was your favorite? I, it's it's hard to call a favorite, and and that's because I haven't done that much. I mean, I've I've done a, a respectable amount of work as an actor on screen, um, but I'm probably the most typecast guy in Hollywood. I mean, let's bring me Dale Dye or somebody who acts like Dale Dye. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's that sort of thing. Um, so I don't get to stretch much. Um, and I'm always the guy who enters scene one and, and tells you what the mission is. Mm. And then uh, I come back at the, in scene three and say, congratulations, well done, here's a medal. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of what I do. Um, and I wish it were, I wish I would had an opportunity to do more stuff. Um, but I guess, I guess uh, that scene in Casualties of War with Michael Fox, uh, I'm, I'm fairly proud of that. Mm. Um, I'm I'm certainly proud of uh, what I did with uh, Colonel Sink and Band of Brothers, mm. uh, and the interesting thing is his family, Colonel Sink's family, yeah, General Sink, um, was was very happy with it too. I was delighted to hear oh. that. Wow, that's really um, cool. I, wow. I, I also did a a movie. I don't know if you've seen it in UK, but um, there was a movie that I did several years ago uh, called Rough Riders, and it was about. Oh, uh, I love that film. Matt loves it. <laughs> I do. I love. I love that. What's well, a miniseries, isn't it? Um, but I love that. It's it's so great. Yeah, I I was really happy to play uh, General Leonard Wood uh, in that one, um, 
and and with my friend Tom Berenger, who was doing Roosevelt at the time. So, yeah. so uh, I guess I guess when I get an opportunity and get my teeth into it, uh, every time that I've been given that opportunity, it, it stands out as as a as a real highlight to me. Yeah, for, for me, it's um, when you voiced uh, Gunny Loughton in uh, Medal of Honor: Rising Sun. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, it's one of my most favorite games from my childhood, and it's it's amazing to be hearing him live. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the voice uh, and the the ability to spew military jargon in the proper uh, way has gotten me a lot of voice work yes. um, in in video games and that sort of thing. Um, so uh, it's it's really hard to pick out one. Um, they've they've all been of a of a type. Uh, with a few exceptions, I've done a couple of little comedies and that sort of thing. And I, I love to do comedy, hmm. uh, but nobody thinks you know a guy like me could ever be funny or have a sense of humor. So that that's out. But oh, uh, it's a shame. <laughs> their loss. Yeah, I think yeah, it's their loss. Yeah, I guess uh, it's hard to answer your question directly. They, yeah. I've I've enjoyed everything I've done. I mean, obviously you should, as you should. Um, so the next question is going to be a bit of a mean one then. <laughs> Jamie D asks, uh, which of Dell's movie projects are you most proud of having been part of? Adult movie projects? Oh, sorry, no. Which of Dale's movie projects? Sorry, might be my mumbling <laughs> my words there. Sorry. I think that might have been a, a, a connection issue there. there. We'll cut that. We'll cut that there. I'll go again. Um, which of your movie projects um, are you most proud of? If you can. It's... it's uh, it probably would go to Platoon because that launched my career. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to, to show what a good advisor can do and what a good advisor should be. Um, but I'm also very proud of all of the miniseries. Uh, Band of Brothers is just superlative. I, it, we set the bar so I don't know if we can ever reach it again. Um, and, and I think uh, the Pacific is underrated. Uh, I think we we made a few mistakes in telling those stories, but it's one of my right. favorites because it involves Marines. Mm, of course. And, and I guess, you know, without having to run through the entire resume, I'd, I'd probably say those three stack up around the top. Yeah. Yeah. I, I adore the Pacific. I think it it's almost the antithesis of Band of Brothers where yeah. it really gets into the nitty gritty. It really explores the psyche of, the effect of men in, in war. I, th I, I say a lot on the show that Banner Brothers for me is men in war, but Pacific is effect of war on men. It's it's a yeah. different beast. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a, it's a clean, uh, relatively speaking, uh, yes. the, the European theater was a clean war, as opposed to the the dirt and grime and and you know the tyranny of geography of, mm. of the Pacific. It was it was a different deal, and we intended that, and we intended it to be the antithesis of what you were seeing in Band of Brothers. Yeah. Oh no, I think I think he achieved it. So it's one I go back to a lot, um, just because I I love it, but also yeah, Band of Brothers as well. Right. Um, Matt, next one. We we mentioned it a little bit earlier about you know your work in video games and you know the Medal of Honor series and Battlefield Two as well. Uh, what what do you have to bring to that when? you're asked to a do voice work on it or advise militarily it's obviously such a different thing to going into the field and training actors to be soldiers marines whatever 
Whereas yeah. when you come to a video game, you've got to like present like a, I don't know, like a package of information to a, a production team that has to like put these sort of things together. Well, I, I don't have that much experience with it, but I've, I've had experience with some pretty high profile stuff. Absolutely. And uh, my my approach was to go in and look and see who these guys are. Who are the designers? Who are the engineers? Who are the writers? And that sort of thing. And, uh, and then say, all right, guys, uh, look, people have you locked in behind a computer screen and a keyboard and that sort of thing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to police all of you up and put you in my truck. And we're going to go out and we're going to shoot weapons. One day out with Dale. Yeah. Live ammunition. And I want you to feel recoil. And, and the geeks loved it. I mean, you know, the, the the absolute nerds that are the computer designers and things, nobody had ever offered them that. And I took them out and said, here you go. And I want you to understand these things. Give them a and then as it. I did that, what it, what it prompted was this raft of questions from the designers and from the engineers and that sort of thing. And and I think that improved the play of, of the deal, uh, was it, of, the, of the game. What it it there are certain limitations, and you have to understand that you're you're playing a video game. And for instance, uh, my my big problem in the in the days when we were beginning Medal of Honor and, and that sort of thing was, look, a lot of fighting goes on at night. Oh yeah, yeah but you can't see anything. And I said, well, you know, and how about mud? How about rain? How about weather? How about I mean, that's an infantryman's nightmare. And the guys got it; they understood it. But that was difficult at that stage of technology to, to mm. create that sort of. Now they've done it, yes. and I think it's it's uh, much better. But mm. I, I guess I guess um, the voice work. What I was after was they had played a couple of video games for me, so I could get familiar. Because I honestly, had never seen one except Steven Spielberg, who played them constantly while we were doing Saving Private Ryan. Oh, really? But, right. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, wow. that's how I got drafted into the whole thing. But uh, but the, the deal was that they played a couple of things for me, and I listened to the voices. And I said, who are these idiots? I mean, they, they have no idea what they're saying. You know, they use some acronym and mispronounce it, and, and they certainly don't know how to give a command or how to give a briefing. And I do. That's my meat and potatoes. I grew up doing that sort of thing. So I would I would say, okay, look, when you get ready, to do these characters, call me. I'll come in and I'll be the voice and, and do it right. And and I think I did because from what I've heard, they they stand head and shoulders above what I'd heard previously. They do. Those Medal of Honor games, uh, they they were unlike anything else when they arrived because mm. there'd been nothing like them before. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think it's like that playing a movie, them. wasn't it? I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a it was a real yeah. experience. It was immersive for the time, you know, with the technology. Well, thank you. Oh, no, massively. For, very formative game. A final Patreon question. That's uh, from Peter Ladner, and he asks, if you had to put together a squad of actors to carry out a men-on-a-mission task, like Saving Private Ryan, who would you choose, and what actor would you want as your second-in-command? Put you on the um, spot there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I guess the answer is uh, my second-in-command has been with me for 50 years, uh, Mike Stokey. Uh, he and I were young corporals together in Vietnam, and I drafted him into into my scheme of maneuver. Uh, so he would certainly be my executive officer um, because he, I mean, he's a Captain Die clone. He knows exactly what to do, and I don't have to issue orders, and he does it. 
Plus the fact that uh, when we get really busy, he runs his own team and he can do a, a film independently while I'm working on another film. Um, and what was it? Give me the context of the question again. So I make sure I answer it. So um, if you had to do like a, a squad of actors for a men on a mission type movie, um, who would you choose? Like what actors are your go-to okay. actors? What actors? Okay. Um, look, uh, I was really impressed with uh, Tom Cruise um, when we were doing um, uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. That guy's got heart. I mean, he he doesn't settle for second best. So he'd probably be in the squad leader area. Okay. Um, I think um, Tom Berenger would certainly be um, a fire team leader, if not the squad leader. Um, I would I would take several of the guys from Band of Brothers, uh, Bull Random, uh, Michael Cudlitz, Bull Randleman, uh, mm -hmm. uh, probably. Uh, I don't know if I could get him to do it, but uh, you know, I'd take Damien uh, along yeah. with me. Uh, there's just a bunch of them. Uh, I was impressed with, um, I did a couple of movies uh, with a uh, with a young actor named Don Harvey. Uh, we did The Beast and, uh, and yep. uh, Mission, Mission of the Shark, and he's good. Um, it's, it's really difficult to, I'd, I'd have to run down a cast list. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. There are, there are Fancy football good. always is tricky, though. I yeah, mean. yeah. That's a great little fire team that you've put together, though. Oh, I must yeah. admit. Those guys yeah. would be knockouts. Oh, bet they would. <laughs> but here's a question from me. So what's the most challenging aspect of your job? Like, I know you know it, you've done it for many years now, but what, when you're on a set, what do you find the most challenging things? It, the, the older I get, the most challenging thing is keeping up and outrunning those little eighteen-year-old it hurts. Uh, of course, it, you know I'm I'm almost eighty now, and uh, it it's uh, it physically more demanding than than I remember I ever seen to me before. Um, but I guess I guess it is the relationship that I have with the director. Uh, most of the time, it's hand and glove. I mean, he looks at me and says, what do you think? And you can't ask for a better, you know, and, and if I right. say, look, we blew it, let's take two and, and off we go. So establishing that relationship with the director and if they're smart prior to that with the writers uh, to get this stuff right so we don't waste time once we're filming. And mm. that's that's a difficult thing. And then the business of being everybody's uh, source of information. Uh, it it can really pull you apart. I mean, the props guys want to know everything. The uniform guys want to know everything. Uh, the set dressers and designers want to know everything, and the armor wants to know everything. And and you know, you're you're pulled a lot of ways, mm. which is why I always try to bring my executive officer and one of my NCOs along with me. Uh, that's expensive for an advisory staff, but the point is I can cover all bases and get everybody's questions answered. So I guess establishing your your um, position in the in the uh, the overall production. Uh, sometimes you have to fight for that position because people are suspicious of you. You know, oh, this guy is trying to make his own movie, not my movie, and right. and that's not the case at all. I'm just trying to guide you 
So sometimes uh, building credibility and credence uh, when you're on the set um, and, and understanding that you're not the guy who always says no, you're the guy who says no, but, and offer uh, a, a better way of doing it that still accomplishes the dramatic uh, task of the directors after. Those are the, those are the tough things. Um, with some directors, especially ones you've worked with before, it's easier. Uh, it's old, old home week, you know, the old boys yeah. club is back together with some ones, uh, new ones uh, who are a little, uh, how, uh, not so self-confident and, right. and who are worried about, you know, giving up any authority or any power to anybody else, uh, then it gets tough. But the, the good news for me is that um, we have uh, such a track record out there that people tend to say, okay, all right, if that's what he says, let's do it that way. Hmm. Uh, so it's you know become easier as you get more experience and get more accolades on the resume. Of course, of course. Um, I, I guess we can't not ask you this. We ask every guest. Personally, what's one of your favorite war movies to watch? I bet you don't know this one. Ooh, Maybe. Okay. All right. It's a little thing um, called Steel Helmet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, now, 1950. Uh, a uh, it was made in the 60s, but um, it's about Korea in the 1950s. Yes. And you talk about a tour de force for an actor, Gene Evans, who plays uh, the the sergeant in that thing, is absolutely he for that movie genre. He's he's George Scott and Pat. I mean, mm. it's just mm. absolutely perfect. And and he's such a curmudgeon, and and I've known guys <laughs> like that, and yes. been trained by guys like that. Um, so that's one of my favorites. I saw it not long ago. It was a Memorial Day here in in the states, and they show all of my movies all day, you know, wall wow. to wall. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I was able to see it again, and, and I just appreciate it. That mil that film was made for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, all in. Yeah, and it, and there there are some you know some technical quibbles, but um, you know it was done by Sam Fuller, who was himself a combat veteran. So yeah, of he, course, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and 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 it's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's great. Um, so leading on from that, I guess, is there a movie from that era or from your like film movie you know viewing past that you'd love to see remade? If you could work on it as an advisor, what war movie would you remake? Uh, I would I would love to do uh, the ones I really like don't don't need to be remade. Of course, well, yeah, I mean, of course, it, yeah. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. Uh, Very true. I mean, I love the bridges at Tokori. Uh, I love uh, uh, the bridge on the River Kwai, uh, and and those films were so terrific that I I would I'd be aghast if somebody of really course. wanted to, to try to remake that. How do you how do you Fix perfect. My wife often tells me is that the the enemy of good is perfect. You know, right. so don't screw with it if it's uh, if it works. Yeah. I, I don't know how to answer the question. No, that's I fine. Don't know what no, no. <laughs> that's fine. That's a great answer. I kind of tangentially on that. Um, you obviously got your big break working on Platoon with Oliver Stone. What was it like getting the call from Ben Stiller about Tropic Thunder, which if I'm right in some of the interviews that you've you've talked about and, and stuff he's talked about in the past, 
he yeah. kind of picked your brains around that that production of of the training and, and that sort of thing, did, and that and, really fueled the film. And I think I think Ben Stiller had my character, me personally, in mind when he was when he was doing that, uh, right. when he was writing that thing. But he was he was very gracious and very nice, and he said, "Look." It's a comedy, and I said, "Yeah, I get it. I've I've read what you've done. That's you know, I, I love comedy, so I spoof it. Let's go, you know." So he <laughs> did. Yeah, he picked my brains about a bunch of things, um, and and then I I went down and, and worked with uh, Nick Nolte, and and he picked my brains about a bunch of other things, um, and and I loved the film. Now, unfortunately, I was not able to be there personally. Um, in in my executive officer, Mike Stokey, went and did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got the full warriors treatment yeah. and, uh, and when I saw it, I was just, I mean, I had worked with, uh, Robert Downey Jr. before, um, and I knew what a, what a loon he could be and, and he was, uh, so, and, and it just it tickled my comedy sense, uh, tremendously. I, I love the film and I think, yeah. I think Ben did a great job with it. Yeah, it's very, we love it here. It's very, very funny. Um, and I, I know we're running out of time, but I have to ask you this before we wrap up. Rewatched Red Dawn recently. Um, oh, yeah. um, I watched the special features and it, and it had an interview with you. And I don't think you went into detail on the interview, but I'd love if you could remember, I'd love to hear the tale. Apparently you had um, Charlie Sheen in the Wolverines as a op for for the National Guard at one point during tr- the, the training. Yeah. I, in effect, I don't remember a whole lot about that, but right. Uh, um, Charlie was always an interesting case. Um, you, you hit with him, you have to be sure he's telling you what, not, not telling you what you want to hear and right. believing something else. Uh, Cause he's a good little actor and he can be a worm that way. You know, he'll, he'll say, Oh yes, sir. I understand fully. And he doesn't. Uh, so you have to know when it's going on. And, and as I recall, we had some of that sort of uh, situation with him. Right. Right. Wow. Matt, anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, Dale, have you got any plans to write a memoir? Because you've had this incredible career, not only a military career, but also in filmmaking as well. That's got to be. And you're you're a um, prolific writer yourself. You've written a number of books. Have you got any you know plans to write a memoir about your experiences? I'll tell you what the answer is. Uh, I have written it. Oh wow! And it, it's in it's in two books. Uh, it's called. Um, the art of war and war is art. Um, so one one covers my personal military experience and and then uh, my experience in in films. Uh, the the question right now is, uh, when are they going to release it? I I think my wife is holding out uh, to wait for me to kick the bucket and then she'll release oh. it, and make a whole lot more money or something. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I don't I don't know. We're I run a publishing company. Um, called warriors publishing and uh and that's a subsidiary of my warriors uh advisory services so i think at some point probably in the next year or two uh, i will probably release it and and we'll see what happens oh wow we look forward to reading that so interesting <laughs> well give Beautiful. yourself some time it's pretty uh, oh, thick oh well yeah uh, so i can find a lot of washing up to do to listen to it while i'm doing it <laughs> So I may be on that, um, Matt. I think that might be all the time we have today. I think so. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Dale. I mean, Listen, it's, guys, it's been an it, incredible conversation. 
it's it's absolute fun to talk to you know i'm, I'm talking to kindred spirits here oh thank I you mean, you, a lot. Thank you, you guys much. know exactly what i'm talking about we could do this without words i think for the most part but yeah but you you've got a great site i took a look at it um, thank you and and i'm gonna i'm gonna poke through and, and hear some of your uh, with some of your uh, previous uh, interviews because i really enjoyed this it's fun Oh, thank you so much. And we just know that our listeners will love this. So another huge thank you to Dale Dye for joining us today. It's been um, you know, a monumentous episode. It's been fascinating to hear tales from the sets of war movies um, for the last 40 odd years. Um, and a thank you again, Dale, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Guys, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. And don't forget, you can listen to the rest of the uh, Fighting on Film back catalogue on our website, fightingonfilm.com. And we'll catch you next week for more War Movie Reviews. Bye-bye, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.